So it's Friday, which means that this is In the Thick, which is a podcast about politics, race, and culture from a POC perspective. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. Today, we're going to kind of catch up on this ridiculous amount of news, and then we're going to do this really cool thing, which is respond to our readers who, yes, they were throwing some shade on us, Julio, and it's all good. It's all good. Mostly on me, but Well, I'm, you know, I'm because you deserve it, it but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so Julio. Yeah. I still can't get over the fact that Actually, everyone in the mainstream media is talking about the fact that a porn star is suing the president actively right now Mm -hmm. and that the president is actively and his team are actively trying to silence her. And then the last thing I heard before I left the house was that she was going to be on 60 Minutes. So I'm like, okay, well, that's an interesting turn. But (laughs) but it's not normal, Julio. It's not normal. No, like I'm literally turning off my television when my kids are in the house now. Because I'm I'm not ready to go there. So there is some news. We're we're recording this um early afternoon on Friday. Basically, there's a report in NBC News that Michael Cohen, who's Trump's personal lawyer, used his Trump organization email to do the payments for Stormy Daniels, and then there's raises questions about the campaign because the Trump organization at the time was was helping with the presidential campaign. Also, Julio. Yeah. I'm also very concerned about the fact that I have an image of this president all alone in the White House with no one except for General <laughs> Kelly. It's like the Beatles song. He's a real no one. Like Mr. Lonely. I'm Mr. Lonely. Like that's what's going through my head now. And I Him was, and John Kelly. <laughs> I was so worried that um, that something might happen and that he was going to start a war with North Korea. But I guess that's not going to happen. Supposedly, he's set to become the first sitting U.S. president to meet with the North Koreans because Kim Jong-un invited him to talk about the the nuclear program. Like, that's like a big news thing, no? Or am I like, is this like the distraction now? I think that what I foresaw for a moment, also a blip, is that he will be the president that um, resolves North Korea and South Korea somehow. (laughs) And that then he, this is the one thing that he's going to campaign on. And suddenly the thing that most people weren't really paying attention to, except for when there were these ridiculous threats, is going to be the thing that um, becomes his biggest win. North Korea experts were surprised by this. And some were immediately saying, hmm, is President Trump getting played? Oh, you're thinking that? Wow. Because according to Pence... He said it's evidence that President Trump's strategy to isolate the Kim regime is working. Then he would Uh not be meeting. He would be isolated. (laughs) It's um, so you think, wow, that's like a spy thing. But hey, I know you were sick on Thursday, but you celebrated International Women's Day. I did celebrate it by taking warm baths. You got a lot of love. I had no idea that there was going to be that amazing graphic and that I was going to be part of like 15 kick ass Latinas who were being recognized by Univision, um, both in English and in Spanish. And then the amount of love that I felt. Seriously, I was crying. I, I was crying, which, you know, I can do very easily. Yeah, you do. And and so for people that know, we've tweeted, I tweeted it out. Futuro tweeted out. There's a really cool graphic of Maria about when she says, you know, illegals is not a noun. That, that moment that you had with Steve Cortez. I was so proud of you. But, you know, there was a little bit of controversy as well. Well, what, it wouldn't be the United States 2018. <laughs> for, not for you, right. But one of the Women's March's organizers, Tamika Mallory, uh, she's facing criticism because she went to a Nation of Islam event where Louis Farrakhan made anti-Semitic comments. And then 
later in the event, he shouted out Tamika Mallory's name. And so we're talking about all these issues of intersectionality and the women's movement, but it's it's something that they're going to have to continue fighting, right? I mean, there's like a controversy about that, that it, it just seems like there's so many moving pieces in, in this entire society. And this is just another example. And I usually wake up and I, sometimes I'm filled with angst. Um, and but then I but then I talk to my husband. And he's like, it's fascinating and it's all good. And this is what the beauty is. And it's going to. So I'm like all of us. I am telling myself that this is going to, in fact, lead us to a better, better country because we're talking about these issues. Speaking of which, can I just throw in, like, seriously, the Chameleonaire interview on Latino USA? <laughs> You're totally dropping. After you listen to Into Thick, go to Latino USA oh on my your God. podcast and listen to... Maria Hinojosa speaking to Chameleonaire. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, hey, um, excuse me, what can I call you? He's like, call me Cam. And then at the end, I was like, oh, thank you so much. He goes, el, el placer fue mío, el gusto fue mío. That's Chameleonaire. So that I know that was like a serious drop, like go listen to Latino USA, but it was so good. Well, because people need to under, we're talking about intersectionality. Yes. And this is the story of Chameleonaire, who's a rapper who sends love and money um, and offers of support to a family whose dad had been deported from Detroit. Um, and then there was a backlash against it. And then he opened up a dialogue. But, you know, on a, on a more serious note, you, you, you saw what the Department of Justice did in California this week, right? My hair was on fire because, again, I'm like, this is the Department of Justice. So Jeff Sessions went out to Sacramento and filed a lawsuit against California for sanctuary cities. And he said that, you know, there's three laws that passed in 2017 that limit the federal government from helping federal immigration agents in California do their job. Now they're going to sue California to try to stop this so that they can limit co cooperation, which is a crock, because anyone that understands anything about this, all these states actually cooperate. But at the same time, Maria, the raids are increasing in California. And I don't know if you saw the video I sent you. I know you were sick, but it, it went viral. It's gotten over 8 million views. No, no, I did see it. It's, ter it's terrible. It's just... The one, it happened in National City, California on March 3rd. It went on Facebook yesterday. It National was City, you know, by the way, is like... A stone's throw from the U.S.-Mexico border. You see these Border Patrol agents, one of which is undercover, although the Border Patrol told Latino rebels that he's a plains clothes agent. But you literally see a mother getting ripped apart from her three daughters. They're being filmed. They said that the mother was part of a transnational smuggling organization. When I asked what that meant, they said, no, we can't share that information. It's part of the investigation. So the woman, Perla Morales, I believe is her name, has still been in detention for five days. There's no charges against her. She's going to get sent back to ICE. And people are like, and it's gotten 8 million views. I mean, isn't this what they do, Maria? Like, isn't this what you've been covering for years? Like, this is sort of modus operandi. Yes. And the whole thing of what they wear or don't wear is a very big deal. Because, one, when they do wear uniforms, they're wearing uniforms mm -hmm. that say police in huge letters. And right. in smaller letters, it says ICE. That's confusing because they're not police and people think that they have to open the door because it's the police, which you do. Usually they will have a warrant. But if they're ICE, you don't have to open the door. So that's a big difference. Or, or CBP. And, and, and that's the other thing. Customs and Border Protection. People don't understand that they are also enforcing within a hundred mile radius around the country. We've got an exclusive on a story of two plainclothes ICE agents in a courtroom putting the person into an unmarked car. What does that sound like? That sounds like a violation of due process at every level. But because people 
who are immigrants are now labeled as illegal. Everyone thinks that it's okay for them to be treated this way and that their due process is denied, including, dung dung, the Supreme Court. It's it's very upsetting and um, it's very defeating. We have to change the narrative. Not everyone can be seen as a victim and as a loser. No, we have to change that. Mm. And why are any of the Democrats supporting the tariff on aluminum? I don't know if you saw the head of the FAL-CIO this week. Yeah, Richard Tomka. Uh, I don't know if people understand the FAL-CIO has actually been for like immigration workers, exactly. immigrant workers the last couple of years. And now all of a sudden he's kind of playing into the Trump mantra that, no, well, maybe we should protect some American jobs. It begins to seem like, is he actually using this as a campaign, as a way to, again, I couldn't build the wall, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that, but I could, you know, I could do the taxes and I could do the tariff thing? Absolutely. This is part of his Make America Great mantra, which the reality is, is that it's not going to. But you know, Maria, one thing that I do want to call out in all this, the TPP agreement that the United States jumped out and they're like, we don't want any of this. Like, that's still going on. Like, Chile's still going to do business with Australia and Peru and China. They make up, and Mexico, then there's a, probably uh, New Zealand, there's a couple other countries. They make up 19% of the world economy. You're going to start seeing these these countries be like, Flaco, you, you don't think I don't need you, Trump. So who's actually going to be isolating whom is the question. Exactly. All right. So we're going to do something different. Joining us in the Harlem studio is Maya Doig Acuña. She's a contributing writer here at the Futuro Media Group. Hey, Maya. Hi. Hey, hey. Hey, Maya. So, uh, Maya, as you know, we released uh, a roundtable on Tuesday um, for In the Thick. We were talking about POC representation in the entertainment industry. And, um, well, some people, you know, they, they had stuff to say, Julio. Yeah, yeah we got emails. And so uh, Sasha, who's one of our listeners, she's super nice. Uh, she wrote to us. And I felt like we needed to address it. And let me just read what she she wrote in her email, at least part of the quote. She said, I think inappropriately, as a progressive, inspiring and thought provocative podcast, you've consistently discussed the black community as separate from the Latinx community. I've noticed this bifurcation in several episodes. And if I'm being honest, it makes me cringe and is hurtful when a podcast I admire so much makes my identity and that of so many Latinx invisible and unaccounted for. Maya, you are, you identify as Afro-Latina. Si, yes. Um, you are Panamanian Chilean. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what do you say to, because seriously, I'm so sad to be disappointing her. So what am I doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? Or I'm doing wrong. because I, Yeah, I, well, I was, exactly. What is Julio doing wrong? <laughs> yeah, that was you, weren't on, you weren't on this part of the show. <laughs> I did listen to the episode, and I think that it's still, the content of it is valid in the sense that there aren't a lot of meaningful, complex representations of Latinos in, in Hollywood, right? Like, that's true, and it merits discussion. Um, but I think Sasha also has a point that when people are talking about Black people, and when they're talking about Latinx people, there's often a a division there. There's a way that we talk about them as distinct communities. And, like, Mm -hmm. that's true, right? Like, that can be true, often is true. Um, But the reality is that they're also overlapping communities. And, you know, if you've grown up in New York, if you spend time there, you know that that's the case, right? That there's sort of, like, a Venn diagram situation, and there are definitely, like, an important community that, that share both identities. So what would be the right thing to say? Sasha is saying, don't talk about the African-American community or the black community. 
and the Latinx community is separate. So we would have to say... It's important to just be specific about who you're talking about. If you Mm want to have a conversation that's about Black Americans specifically and then like Latinos in general across race, or you want to have a conversation about non-Black Latinos and African Americans, right? Like that's a conversation that you can have. And there's definitely a lot of historical material to draw from when you're talking about these kinds of communities. But when we refer to Latinos as just... You know, Latinos and what we mean when we say that is non-black Latinos. If we're saying Latinos and what we mean is mestizo people, right? Like, um, because it's not just black people who often get left out of that conversation, but also indigenous people. So I think it's just about being specific about who we're talking about. Like having a focused conversation is good, but we have to name what we mean, I think. Do you feel like Sasha does? Do you kind of cringe when people make these generalizations and are Because we do it, right? So I'm going to try to be much more aware of this. But are you cringing? Yeah, there's certain instances. One comes to mind. I remember, what, two years ago or something, George Lopez got into some, like, social media trouble because uh, he made a sort of, like, anti-black joke. And then an audience member who was black, you know, called him out for it. And then he was very defensive. And then so I saw this conversation on social media among black Americans being like, see, this is why, you know, I don't mess around with Latinos. And then other Latinos were kind of defending George Lopez. And then kind of caught in the middle are these black Latinos who are both offended by George Lopez and then also like, wait, you know, we also exist here. Yeah. You know, anti-blackness within the Latinx community isn't only or exclusively targeting black Americans, but also people who are from Latin America as well. I'm with you. And the one thing I really missed, Maya, about this was I should have been a little bit more acknowledging the fact that Black Panther just didn't speak to, quote unquote, black Americans. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. it did actually speak to people who identify like you or, or come from the Caribbean or come from Africa, like that African diaspora. Yes. Did you feel that way? Did you see Black Panther? Did you feel that way? Or do you see that conversation happening um, as an Afro-Latina? In this context? Yes, on on all fronts. Um, I saw Black Panther. I was very excited for Black Panther. And I felt deeply represented by it. And I did see some complaints maybe or um, from non-Black Latinx people on social media being like, when are we going to get a Latino Black Panther, you know? And that can come across as disingenuous in a couple of ways. One, because mm-hmm. it's it's like, you know, why choose this moment when there's still kind of limited representation? So whiny. Oh, <laughs> so whiny. This is, you know, the first major superhero movie with yeah. a black person. So like, why choose that to respond to when there's so much material that's like exclusively white that we could be criticizing? And then the other, you know, reason it it feels off to me is is because I, I you know, I do feel represented by Black Panther and I am Latina. And so I see that. And I, as a Latina, I feel very affirmed by that movie, you know, beyond just seeing people who kind of look like, not not so much me, but look like my family or look like people in my community, yeah. you know, seeing a country untouched by colonialism, untouched by slavery, that's just as meaningful to black Latinos. You know, we also, our ancestors came to this continent on slave ships too. You know, we've experienced colonization too. So we should be acknowledging that Black Panther can be in that way, can also be for Latinos. You're absolutely right. When I was in the conversation, I missed that point because we didn't get into sort of the anti-blackness in Latino communities. And we should be asking ourselves, where's the Latino Spider-Man or something? I know what you're saying. Like, where's the Latino? You know what I mean? It's like there's a bigger question here. Another uh, mea culpa. uh, In this sense, it was me when we were speaking about Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah. This um, is you. And his win for best director. (laughs) Oh, I see. You just want to throw some 
huevo <laughs> on my face. Okay. So basically, we talked about the fact that there is a criticism that Latinos who are winning now are Latin American. Yeah. I was born in Mexico, but I've lived here my whole life. So, But I, I think the question that our listener Lalo was saying, who gets to decide? Like, yeah. who gets to decide who's in and who's not? Yeah, he wrote an email. Yeah. And I really appreciate that question because I'm always asking that question. Yeah. I guess I was just kind of stating the fact, which is that these are... People who mostly grew up in Latin America, who have been living here recently. And I don't know about their consciousness. I just remember when I met Antonio Banderas. And I love the way that he spoke about the fact that he had to learn about the Latino-Latina experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there is a kind of understanding of this is something that I need to understand and comprehend. And I don't know whether or not... Guillermo or Salma or whether or not they we've never I've actually never sat down and asked them that question, which I think we should do. But I just want to say for our in the thick listeners and, you know, Maria, you feel the same way. I am so deeply like committed to to exploring this issue like so many ways. We're going to continue to dive in. Maya, thank you for your writing. Thank you for being a part of Futuro Media. And um, and thank you for sharing your thoughts about being an Afro Latina, Panameña, Chilena, Nueva Yorkina. <laughs> of course. Thank you for having me on here. All right. So I guess what we've learned today is that uh, intersectionality, that word that everybody learned from the Oscars, um, is, you know, it's it's a learning process at every moment. And that I think it's important to accept the criticism and to be thoughtful about it. So to all of our listeners, keep it coming. We love you for that. We love you for that. Tweet us. Connect with Maria and myself. Email us info at inthethick.org. Please let us know because we really love hearing from you. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And remember, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. This is your homework um, because this really helps us to get new listeners. Also, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at In The Thick Show. And of course, like us on Facebook. And tell your friends, please. Our producer is Stephanie LeBeau. Our intern is Nicole Rothwell. Our theme music is Comencemos by Jungle Fire. The music that you heard is courtesy of Nacional Kept and ZZK Records. Hasta la próxima. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Nos vemos. This is Just, like you're at a bar. Okay. This is like <laughs> That's you're a at a bar. You're having, you're like with your friends and you're like, what, what? You, you are not like, oh my God, I'm, I'm with my boss and you know, no.